Morning, everybody. Morning. How's everyone? Good, bad, mediocre? Great. Well, thank you for, for responding to the one person. Some of you need some coffee as well, maybe. Um, there is some over there if you want. Let me ask you a question. I have to think of one. When you, let's, let's think about Jesus. That's always a good way to start a sermon. Let's think about Jesus and think about the kind of stuff that Jesus talked about, the kind of stuff that Jesus taught on when he was here on earth. What are some of the things that come to mind as the big things that Jesus liked to teach about and liked to do? Taught on the kingdom of God. Yeah. What else did he teach about? Money. The heavenly father. Repentance. Prayer. Definitely a big one. Hell. He did mention that more than once. Following him. Yes, those, those are all things that Jesus talked about a lot, right? Now, I would think, logically, that the things that Jesus talked about a lot are probably important things for us to think about and for us to learn about, right? If Jesus felt like it was important to talk about something multiple times, maybe even all the time, then I think he's probably trying to emphasize that thing. He's trying to say, hey, this is really important. That's why I'm going to keep talking about it. Does that make sense? Okay. So what is the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else? Do you know? Money. Yeah. Jesus talked about more, more about money than any other topic. So we're going to talk about money this morning. Pause for groans. I have that written down. Pause for groans. But seriously, if Jesus talked about money more than anything else, which he did, then clearly there's something that we need to know. And I would guess there is something that we tend not to learn, which is why he had to keep saying it all the time. Um, we all know how important prayer is, right? We all know how important prayer is for our spiritual life, how important it is for everything. And yet Jesus talked more about money than he talked about prayer. Isn't that crazy? That's weird. The first time I heard this, I was like, there's no way that's true. This guy's full of it. And I looked it up, and I'm like, oh my goodness. He talks about money all the time. All the time. Why? Why does he spend so much time talking about money? There must be something important here. It might be important for us to figure out what is God's view on money? Why does Jesus spend so much time talking about it? What is it we need to learn here uh, from a spiritual point of view? Now, some people don't like talking about money in church, and there are reasons for that. And we're going to forget about those reasons right now, <laughs> because Jesus talked about it all the time, and so that's good enough for me. All right, um, I'm going to spend one minute talking about why I'm not going to talk about tithing. Um, tithing's great. You probably know what tithing is. Uh, it's the Old Testament, Old Covenant um, law that says you give God the first 10% of everything you get. Right? So your income, early inheritance, you know, your donkey dies and somebody pays you for it or, or whatever. 10% of what you get, you give to the Lord. That belonged to him. 10% of what you grew in your garden belongs to the Lord. Okay? And, and when it comes to stuff like crops, you were supposed to give God the best 10%. Not like, all right, here's the 10% of the strawberries that no one's going to buy. I'm not going to make any money off these. So here you go, God. No, you're supposed to give him the best. Remember the Cain and Abel story? Abel gave God his best, Cain gave God the rest, 
and God had something to say about that, and Cain got really mad, right? Okay, so that was the Old Testament law of tithing. You're supposed to give God 10%, the first, the best, 10%. Um, now, we live in the New Covenant now, right? Praise Jesus, the New Covenant, the better covenant. And so tithing is no longer required in, in the way it was in the Old Testament because nothing is required now except Christ alone. Amen? Uh, but tithing is still not bad. It's not a bad thing to do. It's a great thing to do, a great place to start. Um, but I did want to comment on the fact that a lot of the church has taught over the years has taught tithing and has taught giving and has taught money in a way that is very legalistic sometimes and is very, how to say, uh, horrible. <laughs> like guilt-inducing, right? If you don't give, God will smite you. You know, that sort of thing. Like, because in, in, in Micah, there's a verse that talks about, hey, you're not tithing and that's why you're poor. Okay? Because you're stealing from the Lord, and so you're under a curse. And that was true for those specific people in that specific time. But we're under the new covenant now, and it's a better covenant, and it's a different covenant, right? And so, you know, the whole curse thing doesn't translate from the Old Testament to the New Testament, because Jesus became the curse for us on the cross, right? Remember that cross thing? And so, um, sometimes, though, the church has taught, I have heard this. Maybe some of you have heard this before. Messages about money or about giving that were really like, err that were really made you feel bad, made you feel condemned, made you feel like you were robbing God and he was going to come down and smack you if you didn't put enough money in the plate. Okay? Anybody ever heard messages like that? Because I know I have. And it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. It, it confuses you and, and, it, and it's difficult and it's, it's bad. People have used it coercively to try to get you to give, give them money. Um, and there's a lot of bad in that. Okay? And so before we continue... I want to pray about that, okay? And I want to bless you and break anything off you that you may have received at some point in your life or in your spiritual journey, because sometimes just saying, we're going to talk about money today, causes a reaction that's, <clears throat> especially if you've received something bad in the past regarding this, something that was coercive or something that was legalistic or yucky in some way. And that is going to keep you from being able to hear the truth of Scripture because that yucky thing is going to be stopping up your ears and making you upset. Everybody with me? And this isn't true just in the area of money. It's true in the area of a lot of different things. And so I just want to pause right now and pray. Uh, and let's just raise our hands. If, if you've ever heard something, a sermon on money, a teaching on money, that you were like, wow, that, that makes me feel condemned. That, that sounds really, really good. Okay, so a lot, the vast majority of people. Okay, that's what I thought that God was saying that we should do to start off. And so let's pray. Close your eyes. Hold out your hands. Receive from the Lord however you, however you want. Father God, I just repent on behalf of pastors and on behalf of preachers and leaders um, who may have been well-intentioned or may not have been, but um, have pushed good ideas from Scripture into a realm of legalism and who have taken laws of man and turned them into laws of God, and who have tried to coerce or force people to walk in a way that they thought was righteous, um, but done it in a way that was not okay. And I, I repent on behalf of those who have just been flat-out coercive, or who have just been uh, flat-out <laughs> um, 
religious uh, in the way that they have talked about money, taught about money, and ex put, on, put expectations upon people that you yourself weren't putting on them. And so I repent for that, Lord God, and I ask for forgiveness on behalf of those people. And I pray that you would help all of us right now to forgive those who have tried to put something on us that you weren't putting on us, some sort of religious thing, legalistic thing, a coercive thing, a condemnation or a guilt trip about money. We give that to you now, Lord God. We give that to you. We're not going to hang on to that. We're not going to be angry about it. We're going to forgive. So help us to do that right now, or to begin that at least, right now, Holy Spirit. And I just break off any, any curses or shackles or any legalistic thing, any condemnation that's been put over you. I just break that off in the Spirit right now, in Jesus' name. And I bless you with the ability to walk in the truth of God's love and his generosity and his incredible blessing and life in every area especially in this area of finances that we're talking about tonight. And I bless you with the ability to hear and listen and follow the word of the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good <laughs> Thank you. Yes. How about all day and night? Yes. I, I tend to preach at night these days. And so, yes, I, I apologize for saying night. Okay, so. Thank, she's, you got, you got to have somebody sitting in front who can call you out. Um, so I'm not going to talk about tithing, as I said, um, other than to say that one thing I've run into among a lot of folks who tithe that, that can be a negative thing is the idea that, okay, tithing means I give God 10%, right? And so then the idea that they have sometimes is, all right, I give God the first 10% and the rest is mine, Right? God, here's your 10, the other 90 is mine, hands off, thank you very much. Okay? And now that, that view, which does naturally kind of come from a legalistic view of tithing, it, that would make sense, but that view isn't biblical. I think we can all agree. Because the biblical view is not that 10% of what we have belongs to God. The biblical view is that 100% of what we have belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. And that just makes sense in a way, doesn't it? After all, you are God's, right? You have given your life to the Lord. You belong to him. Amen? And so if you belong to God, it only makes sense that everything you have also belongs to God. Right? But we often don't think of it that way because we're American. And this is hard for us as Americans because the concept of stewardship, which is what we're talking about now, this idea that everything we have is actually God's, God gives it to us for a particular period of time for us to then use for his glory. To steward is the biblical term. Okay? Remember the parable of the talents, Matthew 25? And Jesus gives this dude a certain amount of money, and this dude a certain amount of money, and this dude a certain amount of money. And they're expected to then use that money for the glory of the master. And those who do are rewarded to become stewards of even more money. And those who don't are like, dude, you're so lazy, what's your problem? Right? Remember that parable, Matthew 25? We'll look at it a little bit later. Um, that's what stewardship is. God owns everything. He gives us some stuff and some money for certain periods of time, and we are stewards of it during that time, but it's his stuff. Okay? And that idea of stewardship all throughout Scripture 
is difficult for Americans because it flies directly in the face of that whole American dream thing, which is the accumulation of more stuff and more money, right? Um, but again, if we look at it logically, like how long are we on Earth? Tiny, tiny, tiny amount of time. God's obviously forever. We're a tiny, tiny bit. So God owns the world and everything in it. And for a tiny amount of time, we are stewards over some of his stuff. And then we die, and we can't take it with us. Right? Everybody knows that. So somebody else becomes stewards of that stuff. And then someone else does, and then someone else does. So we're a tiny, tiny thing in a big, big picture of God's stuff. And we get to be a part of it, like we do with everything else in the Lord. God's always inviting us to be a part of what it is he's doing, and that's what stewardship is about. And the reason Jesus talks about money so much is because money is one of the first and most basic ways that God tests us in the area of stewardship and the area of faith. And we're going to talk more about those tests in a minute. Okay, so I do want to read a couple scriptures here. I already, Paul actually quoted this one in worship. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all those who dwell in it. So the earth is the Lord's. That encompasses like a lot of stuff. The earth, everything in the earth, right? And then it just keeps saying everything in it. Everything in it belongs to God. Okay? If, God, if, if, if you create something, it's yours. That's sort of like a rule. And God created the earth and everything is his. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything we have is from the Lord. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. Um, and I think a lot of us already understand this. We've seen this a lot in the book of Acts. For those of you who've been around Lydia House on the last few months, we've been going through the book of Acts. Acts 4, 32, and 34 through 35 says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I'm going to say that again because the language can be confusing. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. So this belongs to me, but it's not my own, okay? It belongs to God. And therefore, if God wants to use it to help her or to give this person I don't know, that's God's right because it's his, even though it belongs to me in the sense of I'm a steward over it. Um, and then that verse continues uh, that they had everything in common and there was not a needy person among them for as many whose owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold to lay at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed each as any had need. And so the early church had a good concept of the fact that they were stewards. Everything they had belonged to God, 100% of what they had, not 10%, 100%. And that's true with money, it's true with our time, it's true with our gifts and abilities, everything, because we belong to God. Amen? Once we give our lives to the Lord, we've given our lives to the Lord. So who do our lives belong to? The Lord. And so all our stuff does too. It only follows, right? Our stuff comes with us. And so all of our stuff belongs to God. Again, I understand that this is a hard one. If you've never heard this before, it's especially hard for an American. Because it just, it just grates on that whole American dream thing. That, we, that we, All the other voices we hear in the world and society tell us the exact opposite. Get as much stuff as you can, and that is yours. And you can defend it with fist or weapon, if necessary. Okay? Um, and that is not the biblical view. The biblical view is that it's God's and he gives it to us to use for his glory and in submission to his will. Everybody with me so far? You might not agree. That's okay. Um, we're going to keep going. Um, so Jesus wants to be Lord of your life in every area, including the area of finances. And I 
this may sound weird, but I've talked to a lot of Christians who are really spiritual and they really love Jesus, and God is absolutely Lord of their life in every area except finances. <laughs> and what's funny is a lot of Christians don't even think about it. What do you mean Jesus is Lord of my finances? Well, I, I guess sure he is. I mean, I write him checks every now and then or whatever, but like, it's still my money. I do with it whatever I see fit. You know? And, well, if, if Jesus is Lord of your life, if he, Lord means master, right? The word Lord means master. And so if you're a steward of your master's stuff, you need to do what your master says to do with his own stuff. And that's what the parable is about in Matthew 25. The master gives these folks a sum of money, a very large sum of money, a talent. It's not a talent like an ability. It's a, a talent is a giant chunk of money, literally a giant chunk of money, about 20 years' wages. Based on Minneapolis median income, that's about $750,000 okay, is a talent. So one guy got two talents. That's a million and a half. One guy got five talents. That's almost four mil. Okay, so th these are big chunks of change. Okay? Now that is the master's money. And he expects them to do something with it. It's not just theirs to do with whatever they want. right? And so the ones who do what they're supposed to do with the money, they use it according to the master's will, and they end up with more. Now, who owns that more? So the one who, with two, uses it well and ends up with four. And now who owns the four? Still the master, right? There's this weird thing that's crept into Christianity when it comes to giving, and this truth of stewardship that, that if you give, you're going to end up being rich. You've maybe heard this before, okay? If, if you give enough, because, because the truth is, if you give, you will be given more. That is true, and it's all throughout Scripture. Jesus emphasizes it over and over again. To whom that is given, more will be given. If you are faithful in little, you will be given more. And then if you're faithful in that, you'll be given even more. And if you're faithful in that, you'll be given even more. But it's not you who will be given it like for yourself. It's you who will be given it in the sense of now you're a steward of more stuff. But you're still a steward. It still belongs to the master. right? So the one with two was given four, not to go party, but to, he was given four to now be a steward of four. And presumably then he uses that four well and becomes a steward of eight or whatever, of more. Okay? So he's still a steward. So it's not like you put in two years of stewardship and then you buy your Beamer and do whatever you want with your money. Okay? I don't know how this crept in to, 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 to the idea of prosperity, but it did. Okay? Now, God wants you to prosper. Absolutely. Prosperity is 100% true. But people, like with any truth, they've taken truth and pushed it too far into somewhere that the Bible never, never does. And so that, it's important to, to be aware of that um, because that's not something that the Bible says. But the Bible does say that when you give, you'll be given more. All right. I am way off here. My notes. That is normal. If you've ever heard me preach, you're laughing because you know that that's... <laughs> Just what happens. Okay, so stewardship, 100% of what we have belongs to God. And if you're not real used to that, it can sound limiting. It can sound kind of constricting. Wait a minute, 100% of what I have belongs to God? That sounds not fun. I like to be in charge of my own stuff. Okay? But this idea of stewardship, that everything you have belongs to God, is actually very freeing. It's extremely freeing. The Bible says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is one of those truths that really set you free. Stewardship. Everything you have belongs to God. Let me give you an example that you've probably all experienced. Let's say your car's breaking down. 
who's never experienced a car breaking down, right? Okay, now let's say you're with somebody, or maybe you know a lot about cars, or maybe you're with somebody who does. I do not. So let's say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm with Greg, and Greg says, Nate, it's your automatic transmission, and it's bad, 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 bad. It's going to be probably like $1,000 to fix, okay? So it's going to be 1000 bucks to fix your car. 1000 bucks is a lot of money, amen? Okay, most of us do not have an extra thou lying around without like four different post-it notes as to what this money's for, right? In our bank account or whatever. So an extra $1,000 bill. Now what is the common reaction to this? Worry, anxiety, woe is me, why am I so persecuted? You know, all this stuff, right? <laughs> negative, negative, negative stuff. If, however, we have an understanding of stewardship Guess what? It's God's car. It's God's car. We don't have to worry about it. And it's also God's money. So we don't have to worry about it. If God wants to keep his car running, he can do that. If God wants to give you a new one, he can do that. If God wants to spend his own money to fix his own car, he can do that too. We don't have to worry about it. Everybody with me? If it's God's car and if it's God's money, we don't have to worry about it one way or another. And this is the first test. The first stewardship test. The first money test is, <coughs> excuse me, just the basic, are we going to trust God for provision? Are we going to trust God to do what he said, he, what Jesus promised? I promise you, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious about what you're going to eat. You don't have to be anxious about your daily needs. You don't. I promise. God will take care of you. Seriously, I promise you don't have to worry. He says it over and over and over again to the point where it's like, okay, Jesus, I get it. I don't have to worry. And then what happens when your car goes bad? You worry. Right? I'm not trying to, like, come down on you. I've done the same thing. Right? I've done the same thing. Because we read the truth, but we don't yet get it. We, like, we don't grasp it. We don't live it. We don't understand that everything we have belongs to God. And so when these unexpected bills come up, we don't need to freak out. We don't need to worry about it. We don't need to be anxious. It does not surprise God if your car needs to be fixed. Right? Do you think God's looking down going, oh, his transmission? Oh, no, this wasn't on the list. I, what do we do now, Jesus? What, what do you think? I, I got nothing. I, right? Ridiculous. It does not surprise him. It's his car. It's his money. Don't worry about it. Seriously. We don't have to worry about it. Unexpected medical bills. Unexpected loss of income. Whatever the money test is, God knew it was going to happen. It is a test to see whether or not, first and foremost, you are going to trust him to provide. Or if instead, you're going to do what is common to man, as the Bible might say, and worry and have anxiety. Okay? And again, I'm not condemning you. If you're anxious, you're evil. Okay? No, no, no. Jesus never says that. He just constantly says, hey, don't do that. Don't be anxious. It's actually a choice. It's a choice. You say, I will not choose to be anxious or worry. I will instead choose to trust and live in the peace of Christ. Jesus said, I give you my peace. Therefore, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it. Just don't let it. But, but my heart is being troubled. Okay, don't let that happen, actually. Don't let that happen. Live in peace and don't worry or be anxious. Now, that's a lot easier said than done. And when we're not used to doing it, it takes a lot of work to get used to doing that, right? 
and to build up that good habit of saying no to anxiety and worry and fear and stress and all this stuff. Because we can't stop the car from breaking down. We can't stop the stuff of the world from happening around us. That just happens. In this life, you will have trouble. Jesus promised us that because that's the way life is. He also said, don't worry about tomorrow because today's got enough worries of its own. There's enough trouble for today. So don't think about tomorrow's trouble. That's, that's stupid. There's enough trouble today. So there will be trouble. You can't stop that. I'm not, I'm not going to go into music band here, but I feel like I have to. Um, so some of you didn't get that. That's all right. Um, so, no. <laughs> um, and so there will be trouble. There will be financial difficulties. There will be stressors. There will be tests. There will be uh, kind of stuff. But you can choose not to worry and not to be stressed in those things and not to have that anxiety and instead walk in peace because you can trust that Jesus said, that when Jesus said, I will provide for you, he actually was serious. He wasn't just teasing you. He wasn't joking you. He wasn't saying, uh, you, you can trust me. <laughs> this is going to be hilarious. You know? No. Like, he actually meant, you can trust me and you don't have to worry. Actually, don't do it. Just don't. Okay. So, okay, I spent more time on that because I felt like God wanted me to. Uh, but that's, I think, the first money test. Don't worry. Um, trust in the Lord. So stewardship really does free us. It really does free us because then when these unexpected expenses comes up, we don't have to stress about it. That's, again, easier said than done, but we don't need to because it's God's money. God knew he was going to have to use some of his money to pay for this. And, you know, Sarah, I, Sarah and I have experienced this a lot um, we, I could go on and on about testimonies of provision that God's provided <laughs> for us. Um, but one of which was with cars. You know, we had um, a very, very, very old car, um, ancient car, the first car. Um, and it was, it was 1989, Toyota Camry. It was given to us. It used more oil than gas. Um, like, you actually had to put a quart of oil in every time you filled up the gas tank. Okay? So it was very interesting. A lot of other problems. Um, it was possessed. Like, I mean, like, all the interior lights would go out, like, at night. Like, you're driving on the freeway, and it's like, <laughs> I'm a spy now. Like, no, so that no one can see me. It was actually super creepy. If you've ever been in a car where all the interior lights were out, it's really creepy. The headlights were still on, but the interior had some sort of electrical problem. So anyway, okay. Um, but we didn't die. We, we, praise God, we're still here. So, so we had this car. And we got it, and it was sick. The car was sick. It, it, you know, it needed help. So we prayed for the car. That's not weird. You can pray for your car. The, in the Bible, people pray for their animals. They pray over their land and their possessions. Okay? So we prayed over this car. <laughs> God, keep this car alive. This car is sick and in hospice, and it needs help. Please bless this car. And then we said, God, it's your car. It was just given to us for free as an answer to prayer, which is a whole other testimony thing in and of itself. We needed a car. We were trusting God to give us one, and he did because God provides. Amen? And so here, here we are with this free car. It wasn't the BMW, if you have enough faith. We had a tiny bit of it. That was a joke. Um, and so we got this decrepit car, and we prayed, Lord, this is your car. So whatever you want, as long as you want us to use it, it would be awesome. Um, and, it's, and it's your choice, God. We're giving you a choice here. You can either supernaturally keep this car alive, or you can super cheaply or whatever way fix what needs to be fixed. Give us money. Give us like a mechanic who's really nice or something like that. Or you can give us the money to actually fix it. Either way, it's your car and your money. So whichever one you choose is fine with us. 
So if it costs a bunch of money to fix, we're not going to worry about it. Because whose money is it? God's. If, if God decides to supernaturally keep the car going, that's great. Because whose car is it? God's, right? And we, during the life of that car, we actually experienced all of those things. When we first had it, like I said, it used more oil than gas, very nearly. Um, and God healed the car within about two months. We stopped putting oil in it. It didn't need it anymore. And engines don't typically heal themselves. Um, it also started getting about 50 miles a gallon, um, which was crazy for a 1989 vehicle. Um, now, there were problems with the vehicle. It was very rusted out, like it actually had a hole in the trunk, um, <laughs> which we did not know until after we came home from the grocery store. And we're like, didn't we buy the... Where? Oh, shoot. How much stuff have we lost? How long has this been happening? Did we have children before this? Um, and, and so there, 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 was, there was problems with this car, but we were faithful as God was faithful. And over the years, we've continued to be faithful. God's continued to be faithful. And now we drive a super awesome minivan. Now, does that mean that if you continue to be faithful in little things, that God will give you other better things? Yeah. <laughs> what? That is what it means. No, does that mean you'll always get better stuff in this life or get rich or anything like that? No. And that's, that, that's where this gets difficult, okay? Because you can't push it too far because you're, you keep giving everything to God. So there may be a time where we no longer have an awesome minivan. There may be a time where God says, sell everything and move to Jamaica. Hopefully not. It's way hot. <laughs> sell everything and move to Norway. Um, you know, and, and in which case we will have to do that, okay? Again, if it all belongs to God, whose is it? God, okay. All right, I'm going to keep going because I've belabored that point. Um, so I'm not going to talk a lot about generosity other than to say this. One of our favorite verses is Luke 16, verse 9. Luke 16, 9. I encourage you to look it up, write it down, tattoo it on something you own, like your wallet, actually. I want a wallet with this on it. Luke 16, 9. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So that with it, you will be investing towards inter- eternal life. That's what Jesus said, Luke 16, 9. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. One of the purposes of money is to gain friends. Generosity. Spoiling God's other kids, just like you would want to spoil your own kids or God would want to spoil you. Right? Fathers love to spoil their kids. God wants to spoil his kids and he wants to use his money to do it. Where's his money? Your wallet. Yeah? And so that's part of what generosity is about. God using you to bless other people. And so maybe if God wants to bless your neighbors, maybe he wants you to buy a bunch of super awesome meat and throw a great barbecue and invite your neighbors over and just give, give, give awesome stuff. Maybe God wants you to take people out to dinner and then sneak over to the waitress, quickly pay, and then come back. And then before they even know what happened, they're on their way home. And did you pay? No. Did you, did you, did you tip this time? I didn't even get the bill. But I didn't. Ah! Actually, we, <laughs> we've done this a lot since we got married. Sneakily paid for the meal when we go out. And one time, somebody called me the next day super worried. So I think we stole our meal last night because I, I didn't pay and she didn't pay. And, 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 and I'm like, somebody else paid for everybody. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I'm sure. Somebody else paid for the whole meal. You did not accidentally steal your food. Don't worry. It's okay. Receive, learn to receive. And then, you know, you can learn to give. And they're like, okay. Um, I didn't tell them it was us, because part of the point is that we're not trying to get glory to ourselves. We're trying to be generous and bless God for what he's doing. Amen? Okay. So generosity is awesome. 
Um, stewardship also frees us to give to the Lord in the way that he wants us to give, right? Um, he's going to talk about giving now. So don't brace yourselves too much. But I am going to talk about give, continue to talk about giving to the Lord because this is something Jesus talks about all the time. So what is the biblical view on giving to the Lord? Um, I, again, I have nothing against tithing, giving, giving the first 10%. That's, that's great. I think it's intended to be a starting place and not like a legalistic thing. Um, that's not to say that you have to, if you don't give now, you have to start at 10%. God might start you lower. But the main point is this. Whose stuff is it? Whose money is it? So who should you ask when it comes to what to do with it? God, right? Not some legalistic thing. And so we simply need to ask the master, what do you want to do with your stuff? How much do you want me to give? Where do you want me to give? And not just about giving, but about everything. Is this the right job for me? Could you get me more money in this job? Or is there a better job that could get me more so that I have more to give? Or is there another stream of income you want to bring into my life? Ask the Lord, ask the master how to be the best steward of, of his stuff. And I think you'll be surprised at how willing he is to, talk, to tell you about it. Again, this is what Jesus talked about more than anything else. It's a really big deal. So learning how to become a steward of God's stuff is one of the most important tests that we face. And it's not just one test. It's constant tests um, throughout our life um, about money. And... Um, you know, again, back to the parable of the talents. Um, when God gives you stuff, he expects you to use that as he wants you to use it. And then he will give you more. And then you're still a steward of that, and then you, can, you keep doing that. And it tends to kind of progress over time. Okay? Again, as we submit everything that we have to the Lord, and as we use it for his glory. And so Sarah and I have experienced this, you know, over the years. When we first got married, we, we were giving 10% and trying to live generously. And pretty shortly after we got married, God led us to increase the amount that we were giving. Okay? And so, you know, that's a test. Amen? When God says, I want you to start giving more, that's a money test. Are you going to trust that it's my money and that I, I know what I'm doing and that I'm going to provide for you and that I'm going to do everything you need me to do? And are you going to prove that, that you understand that and that you trust me by, by giving to this other organization or this missionary or whatever? Um, and thank, thankfully, we passed that money test. Now, in those early years when we were married, we were poor. And by poor, I mean my mom's praying every day that we live kind of poor, right? I mean, we, we, we made like under 7,000 as a family per year, right? So poor college students living on loans and living on the grace and, and generosity of family members who decide to give us a bunch of money for a birthday for no reason and stuff like that, right? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it was my birthday. It wasn't like Bill's birthday. But, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. Why, why give me money for my birthday? I'm like old and stuff. Um, and, uh, and so here we are, poor. And yet we're giving, and God leads us to give even more. And, and I think it's important that we did that when we were still poor. Because there's, a, there's kind of a, a deceit out there that'll say, well, when I have money, then I'll start giving. Maybe you've heard that from people. Well, when I have money, I'll start giving, I promise. And whenever someone says that to me, I say, no, you won't. They say, no, I will, I promise. No, you won't. You absolutely won't. Because if you can't give now, you're never going to give then. 
because as your income increases, so do your expenses. Always. And you might think, if my income goes up by X amount, I will have a margin of extra, and I'll be able to give that abundance. But I almost, it's almost never true. If you're not living a life of stewardship, you probably won't get the abundance. That's just the way it works. And so um, we need to start giving now in whatever situation we're in, no matter how little we have. Remember um, the widow that Jesus saw putting two pennies in the offering right after the Pharisees had given like, you know, a gold goblet or whatever, like a whole bunch of money, and, and the widow puts two pennies in there. And Jesus goes, did you see that? Everybody see that? And they're like, yeah, 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 old lady giving two pennies. And he's like, she gave more than everybody else. Because she's got nothing, and she put it all in there for the Lord. And so it's not the amount that you give. Because some people are like, well, I don't make much money. I mean, the amount I give isn't going to be significant for anybody. But that's not what it's about. It's not about the amount. It's about giving to the Lord. It's about being faithful. It's about obedience. So it's not the amount that you give. It's about being obedient to what the Lord has given you and what he's called you to do. Everybody with me? And what you will find over time is that if you give, even when you don't have much, you will eventually have more to give. And if you continue to be faithful, you'll have more and more to give. And eventually, God will probably have you in a place, at least at some point in your life, um, where the amount you give actually is significant to somebody. And that's pretty awesome, um, i got to say. And so um, continue to, to walk in that area of faithfulness. And so, you know, we've been doing this over the years, and God's led us to increase the amount we've given and increase it again and increase it again. And each time it's a test. Each time it's a money test. Um, and we're like, okay, now we're giving a ton. And God's like, no, you're going to give this much now. And it's like, what? Um, and, and he keeps increasing it over and over. And I, I, I'm, I'm on our family who does the finances, um, and which is more of a submission thing than anybody else, than anything else, because she hates it. And so I say, okay, I'll do it. And because um, I'm a martyr, and like I really, <laughs> I'm a super good husband and stuff. And so, um, and so I, I do the finances. And so I tend to be the one who prays about the budget and that sort of thing. And when we were, you know, first married, and I was looking at our here's our next three month budget, it was always in the red, always in the red. It wasn't a matter of how much extra money we're going to have. It was a matter of how much money do we need to pray in this this month. Seriously. Uh, we were living on like generic mac and cheese and generic tuna. And if you've ever had generic tuna, don't. Um, there, there's good cat food that's better than generic tuna. <laughs> Actually quite a bit more expensive. Um, and so, uh, you know, we were, we, we were poor. And we lived right next to the railroad tracks, and the train would ra- wake us up at like 2 or 3 in the morning. So we got these great stories. We, we didn't have a car. We had to walk or bike uphill, like in the snow to get to school. We have all these great stories for our kids when they get older. You know, um, I didn't get t- cable until I was 12. Um, so anyway, <coughs> and so we, we had this time where, where we didn't have a lot, and we had to trust the Lord. And I wouldn't trade that time in our lives for anything else. I would not trade it for anything. Because in that period of time, we learned to live in Matthew 6, where Jesus says, don't worry, I will provide. And we actually had to live there. We actually had to say, God, where is the money going to come from? I don't know, but I'm going to trust you. And he says, okay, and I want you to give, despite the fact that you don't have anything. And that's hard. That's a hard test. And we obeyed that. And again, I'm not talking legalistically here. I'm not saying if you don't tithe, God's going to curse you with poverty. No, that's not true. Don't ever listen to that. Rebuke that in Jesus' name. If you need prayer for that, I'll pray for you about that later. Um, 
but that's, that's where we were, and, and eventually we didn't have to buy generic mac and cheese anymore. We could buy Kraft mac and cheese, and praise Jesus, it was an, it was an amazing time. And then we could even buy regular tuna, and you know, stuff was awesome. Um, and so you know, now we're at a place where we um, give 50% of what we get into the kingdom of God. And I don't say that, you know, I trust that you know me and know I'm not, you know, that's not a bragging thing or anything like that. I'm, I'm just giving you my testimony about what God is doing. And, um, but we're in a money test right now because God just called us to increase our giving to, to that amount. And starting last year, God had led me to leave my job, which I was getting paid for. I'm a pastor, right? And I was getting paid for that. And he said, I want you to quit, and I want you to do this other thing and work for Harvest Communities and not really make so much money. Um, so that is a faith step. That, that is a money test. When God says, I want you to leave the, the paying job and go to the not-so-much-paying job, okay, that's a money test. And I said, yes, Lord, and we jumped in, and, and, and it was great. And then a few months later, he's like, now I want you to increase your giving. And I said, wait, but wait, you, you didn't, like, do the first thing yet. Um, <laughs> I thought, you know, you would start <laughs> providing, like, a salary first, and then we, you know, he's like, nope. Because, um, you know, this is faith test number 18 for us, and so, like, that would be too easy if he, if he did it the way I wanted him to. And so it's been a year now, and the salary still isn't there, and so, uh, but yet he's called us to increase our giving. And, again, don't, don't hear this as a, oh, poor Nate. You know, we're fine. <laughs> God, God takes care of us. I work for Jesus, not Harvest Communities, right? Um, so don't worry about that. Um, I'm also not trying to say you should give more so that I can get a salary. Just I want to say that out loud just so that the devil doesn't try to get you to think that. I'm not saying that. Again, I work for Jesus, not Paul. Um, and so this has been a hard faith test. This has probably been the hardest one we've had, for me anyway, because I'm the man and not earning money to provide for my family can be difficult sometimes as a man. Many of us have been there unemployed or something like that from time to time um, or employed but not paid uh, from time to time. And, um, and so this has been a difficult test, and it's been a year. And faithfulness, faithfulness always has a time component to it, right? You can't be faithful to something for an hour. That's not faithfulness. That's just staying awake for an hour, right? Uh, but faithfulness always has a time component to it, and so a money test always has a time component to it. And a year is a pretty long one. It's one of the longer ones we've had. Um, where, where God's been testing us for like a whole year. Um, and so this is a tough test, but with the grace of God, we're going to pass it because I know for sure that God is faithful and he's in charge because we've passed all the other tests. So I can honestly say that I don't worry about money at all, and I actually haven't worried about money for a lot of years. And not even a little bit have I worried about money. And again, that's not because I'm awesome. That's a testimony of God's faithfulness. He has proven to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that I don't have to worry about money. He has proven it to me over and over and over and over and over again by all these different tests, by proving himself faithful in all these different tests, that worrying about money is just a waste of time, and I don't have to do it at all. And I actually don't even pray for provision anymore because I know it's coming. I just know it's going to come. So I'm like, God, just do your thing. You know? And again, that doesn't make me awesome. That makes God awesome for having done this in me. But right now, I'm still in the middle of one of these tests. And as Paul likes to say, it's God's will to turn a test into a testimony. Amen? And so I have all the faith that the test we're in right now is going to become a testimony. And I know that many of you here are probably in money tests right now. And if you're not, you will be soon. Because Jesus constantly tests us in the area of money. 
This is one of the primary reasons why he talks about it all the time. It's a very easy test for him to use to see, are you going to trust me? Are you going to learn to be a steward? Are you going to follow what I'm asking you to do? It's an easy way to test us. And so he tests us in this kind of stuff all the time. And sometimes the test is loss of income or, or moving or something like that. And that's a, that's a difficult kind of test. Other kinds of tests are when the Lord gives us a directive that he expects us to follow, like give to this place, increase your giving, leave your job, whatever it is. right? So there's different kinds of money tests. None of them are easy, but they're all awesome. Because the Lord uses them to increase our faith. And when your faith is one of those substances that transcends genre, like in your life. And so if God increases your faith in the area of finances, you have more faith than in general. And so you're more likely to believe that God's going to heal somebody's hip. Because he's proven himself powerful in your life. You're more likely to believe that that sister you've been praying for for years is really going to come to the Lord. Because God has proven himself strong in this other area of your life. Everybody with me? And so these faith tests are important. These money tests are important because they really do build our faith. They really do strengthen us. Um, so a couple really quick things. How do we pass our money tests? How do we pass our money tests? I got five things for you. Um, this is not a conclusive, like, five ways to pass our money test, but here's five ways to pass our money test. Um, understand the truth that 100% of what you have belongs to God. That's the first thing, just stewardship. Living in the fact that it all belongs to God and reminding yourself this all belongs to God, this all belongs to God is a really easy way to pass your test. Whether it's my car broke down or I lost my job or, or whatever it is, whatever that money test is, remember that it's all God's stuff, it's all God's money. Two, don't be worried or stressed. Choose not to be worried or stressed. Instead, live in peace. Trust in the God who promises you provision. God promises to provide for you, Matthew 6. Number three, ask the Lord for wisdom and obey him. Ask the master, what do you want to do with your stuff? What do you want to do with your money? Is there another way you want me to make money for my family? Is there another stream of income you want to bring? Is there another place you want us to give? What do you want us to do? Ask the Lord. He will give you wisdom. You'll be surprised at how readily he wants to talk to you about this stuff. Because it's all his stuff, and he's waiting for you to use it the way he wants you to. Um, Number four, increase your giving. And this is the toughest one. When you're in a money test, increase your giving. Now, I don't say that as a legalistic thing, okay? Again, pray. Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? When you're in a money test, what do you want me to do with the stuff you've given me? But as a general principle, increasing your giving during a money test is one of the absolute best things you can do. Again, not legalistically. Sometimes God might call you to reduce your giving for a certain period of time. If the Lord is telling you to do that, I think that's pretty rare. Most of the time, the best thing to do is to increase your giving. Why? Because it is a massive step of faith that proves to God and to you, I trust you, Lord. I trust you so much that I'm going to not only not decrease what I'm giving, I'm going to increase what I'm giving because this is all yours anyway. You can't outgive God. It is not possible to outgive God. Okay? And it's really fun to challenge him on that and to try to pr- make him prove the fact that you can't outgive him. Um, I heard a story from a friend who <coughs> lost his job. The first thing he did when he got home was write a big check to a ministry he knew that helped provide jobs for unemployed people. So he lost his job. First thing he did was give a big offering to the Lord. Powerful step of faith right there. And he, and he um, specifically was sowing seeds into the area that he needed to reap a harvest. If you want corn, you plant corn. He needed a job, and so he sowed those seeds into a place that helped provide jobs for people without jobs. It's a powerful thing. That's a powerful step of faith. So if you're in a money test, pray about whether or not God might want you to increase your giving. It can be a huge, huge step of faith, powerful thing. And finally... Continue to 
just trust and try not to complain. And this is what God's been doing with me on this current money test, is being like, hey, don't complain. He's caught me a couple times complaining. You know, woe is me. And complaining isn't good. Complaining is a, is a symptom of unbelief. That's why the Israelites all died in the desert, because they were complaining, because it's a symptom of unbelief. And so God's been like, hey, you're complaining, you're complaining. Don't do that, don't do that. There, there's something wrong here. You need to upgrade your trust a little bit. Um, so those are the money test things. Um, so pray about that. Uh, anybody who wants to talk to me or pray with me afterwards is welcome to do so. Do you want to do any discussion, or what would you like? started receiving allowance, and so he's just learning. He's just learning about money and what to do with it. Sure. We want this or this. So God loves a cheerful giver. So I, I hear Nate saying, you know, it's got to come from your heart. So don't be coerced. I will say that Bible also says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I've said it before, it's most important for your spiritual well-being that you're givers. I would say, if, you're, if your heart's here, sow here. But even more important than sowing here is that you're sowing somewhere. Because for your spiritual well-being, you need, you need to be givers. And that's not just serving with your time and things. That means your resources. That means taking out your wallet. Because that in this day and age, our wallet is our resource. So we don't have chickens, cows, maybe some of us do, grain, things like that. If you have that, give it. But right now, our resource is in the form of dollar bills. We trade money for time, and that's what we earn, so that's what we sow. So be a giver somewhere. If you choose to give here, great. We've got lots of things we can do. And we'd do it in partnership together with you and with the Lord. Yesterday I asked Bob and Linda. They're going to Tanzania in July. I said, how are your finances? They said, well, we still need some. So that would be a wonderful gift to give to Bob and Linda. I know that uh, you're going, aren't you? You have your ticket? Okay. I think uh, who else is going? Uh, Molly, Molly still needs income. What a wonderful thing to, uh, to give a gift there. You want to say something before we go into communion? Yeah, that's what we'll do. Um, so, giving money, absolutely important. Uh, sometimes in order to do that though you need to be around a place you need to know who people are so there are a few fresh faces here today we have this sign up sheet if you want to get on a just little weekly email things usually not much but it's it's never burdensome so uh, we can pass that around if you have a uh, any needs or anything or ways that you can help bless others you can put that on there and there are some who do give in other ways you know uh, Sven 
done a lot of great work around here, and a lot of people are getting blessed by that. I can guarantee you that. Uh, Nick, on this, I have a need. I can meet a need. He signs up and says, I can help do yard work. Now, that doesn't take opening your pocketbook. If, if you can't afford the gas to get there, I bet someone would pick you up if you were willing to help them. So we'll pass that around, too, if you have a need. If you have a need that you feel you want to help meet, feel free to put that on there. Um, that was really good, really good. And I do wonder, though, if some people are maybe here in another, Nate mentioned a lot of things that Satan would come against us with. Maybe one more is, ah, uh, if I do all that, God's going to crimp my fun. You know, if all I do is give, 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 what about me? Well, here's the good news. Comes from the Bible, because that's where good news comes from. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, which even if you make 7000 a year, that moves you down the ladder a bit, but still in this world, yeah, it's pretty rich. If you make minimum wage in America, you're in the top 15% for sure of the world income. If you got a car in the garage, you're, you've skyrocketed up the ladder. So I would dare say everyone in this room right now is rich. Charge them not to be haughty. It's really easy to let that money and stuff pile up and get haughty. Now here's the big one. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. The car can die. uh, Britain can leave the European Union and trigger a whole world economic collapse. You don't know what's coming. Don't set your hope on riches. It's crazy uncertain. But set it on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Part of the reason God gives you money is to have a good time. That's a part of it. So don't feel bad if you go spend some money to have fun today. That's cool. That's awesome. But that's only a little part. They, the rich, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So if that's what you're seeking after and you also have some fun on the side, that's great. And here's what that's all about. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, if you spend money to be happy now, you ain't going to get too far. Now, I mean, uh, Minnehaha, we just won the state baseball tournament Monday. That was great. And you know what? You kind of walk away from that and you're like, now what? Is there a national turn? No, that's the end of the line, you know? How many people get rich? Deion Sanders, I read the little track with his face on it years ago, made all that money in the NFL. He's like, I got a $10,000 bet. I can't sleep at night. I got these fancy shoes, and everywhere I walk, I'm just downtrodden, you know? Money doesn't solve anything. It causes a lot of troubles. If you seek to be rich, you're chasing trouble, you know? Uh, But... You can use it to store up a foundation for the future. Uh, Randy Alcorn is a great author. He's got a skinny little book called The Treasure Principle. I would strongly advise that to anyone for those voracious readers. He's got a fat book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And if you're, if you're hardcore, give that one a look. Uh, Nate kind of had a paraphrase of one of Randy's lines. God doesn't increase your income, money, whatever, to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. You know, so that's, uh, that's what we can be chasing. You know, how much can I give? Because if we really want life indeed, we'll have some fun on, on, the, on the road trip, definitely. But there's a destination. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. So let's, uh, let's think about storing up for the future.
because we've got life indeed, life in Christ, and I bet Paul's going to take us there, huh? Thank you. A lot of good words. A lot of good exhortations this morning. Rich time. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Joe. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For giving everything. Though he were rich, he became poor. That through his poverty, we might become rich. How kind. He had it all. He had it all. And he gave up everything. Jesus, we bless you. We love you. We worship you. If we model our giving after you, there will be no problem in surrendering everything to a great and good God. And so we remember how before you went to the cross, you took bread, you gave thanks, you gave it to them saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also you took the cup after supper, after giving thanks, you gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. We bless you, Lord Jesus. And as you taught us to pray, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We take just a moment. Scripture invites us to examine ourselves. It's not inviting us to beat ourselves up. It's asking us to examine ourselves, to see where our heart is to see how we are, so that we eat and drink unto, unto life. Some were eating and drinking, and it wasn't doing them any good. In fact, it was making them sick because their heart wasn't right. And so we want our heart to be in a ready position to receive of the Lord's goodness and grace as it comes to us in this holy meal. Jesus, we say yes to you. So here's how we're going to do it. You come up and receive the elements or in the back. So those of you in the back half, you can go in the back, you in here, you come up here, receive. Then you take it back with you. When we get back together again, then we'll eat and drink together. So I invite you to come. While we do, we're going to be singing.